Hey guys, welcome to the I Hope to Hear This podcast. And today, I hope people considering military service hear this. Hey guys, welcome to the I Hope to Hear This podcast. And we have another really special guest with us today. Thank you so much for coming, Pastor Daniel Kim. Yes, <laughs> that is my name. Yes, thank you for being here. Yeah, man, um, thanks for having me on. Yeah, you, you actually are the most requested guest on, on this podcast. Wow, I've really? Had, I've had several people uh, say, hey, you should do an episode with Pastor Dan. He has a lot to say. Mm. And just from the, we, we just had dinner downstairs with our wives. Mm-hmm. And just from the little bit I heard about your life, mm. man, you do have some really great stories. Oh, man. Um, mm. I don't know if we'll get to the stories that we talked about today on this episode, mm. but I'm hoping you can do uh, do it in the future episode. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm totally down. I know <laughs> Esther's down too. Awesome, so, awesome. Yeah. So uh, but before we get into some of the things that, uh, some of your stories, I was wondering if you could just give a brief intro to who you are, um, yeah, what you do, what, what your passions are, what wakes you up in the morning. Oh, you know? man. <laughs> yeah, this is, uh, I love this because... It's so authentic, mm. and and I'm so glad, David, that you're doing this podcast. I think it's very needed. Oh wow! And I think that it's a blessing, uh, especially in Atlanta. Mm. You know, for a Korean American uh, Christian people. Mm. You know, not that every listener is only Christian, right, right. but I don't know. I I really love seeing things like this. Oh. You know, creative outlets uh, where the generations are just kind of. They're banding together to do something good, mm. you know. And mm. I love, I love the. Uh, I know I'm not answering your question, <laughs> yet, but <laughs> I'll get to it. But, yeah. but I, I even love the title, oh, uh-huh. you know, of of the podcast. And uh, in my experience uh, with you and Shirley, I really, I really have seen the thoughtfulness mm. of you two, wow. and just the ingenuity and the way that you guys are able to creatively express and articulate not only your faith but also um yeah also just the way that you guys think mm. and the way that uh, you know with with the uh, franchise that your wife mm. mm-hmm. has started yeah with all of the uh, tables that have been built yeah. you know and <laughs> yeah uh the books that you've authored <laughs> and this podcast and so it's such a such a treat and honor to be here wow thank and so you so thank you no, 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 thank you, thank you. <laughs> Such kind words. <laughs> but uh, but about me, yeah. Um, so currently, I am mm-hmm. a youth and EM pastor uh, at Sultan Light Presbyterian Church in Beaufort, Georgia. Mm-hmm. It's a small little community. Uh, it's my home church, actually. Um, it's where I first came up. So they were my first youth group ever. Oh, and uh, even ten years. Since I was the youth pastor, um, there there are still many who have remained. Oh wow! And and of course there are some who have gone on, mm-hmm. you know, and who uh, have moved on to other places. Um, really want to see them return. So mm-hmm. I don't know if they'll hear this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, all that to say, uh, I'm a pastor. I'm also a hospital chaplain mm. uh, at, in Emory University Hospital. Uh, in in Clifton Road, in Atlanta, and uh, let's see, I'm also still in seminary. A lot of people don't know that. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. And so, I started seminary around like 2012, 2011-ish, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and I've just been transferring from school to school. Oh. I'm at my third seminary right now. Oh wow! Um, you were in Philly at one point. Yes, you were telling us downstairs. Yeah, yeah. I was at a, I was at Westminster mm-hmm. Seminary. That's where I met Esther. Mm-hmm. That's where we got married, and then uh, moved to Boston. Oh, okay. For a couple of years, and so I was there at Gordon Conwell okay. for a little bit. And while we were there, just really received a very obvious call mm-hmm. from the Lord to return to Atlanta. And so, uh, you know, that's where we ended up at Promise. Mm-hmm. And we were there. Uh, and so I've been in RTS, Reformed Theological Seminary in Marietta, okay. for the past, I don't know, two and a half years. Mm. Um, only one class away oh, wow. from graduating. Congratulations. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really <laughs> stoked about that. I'm going to mm. graduate in May. 
um, that's something that you know wakes me up in the morning <laughs> to to finish to finish well. Oh, uh-huh. um, yeah. And so th- that's currently some of the the hats that I'm wearing. I see. Uh, what is it that I? What are some passions? So I really enjoy uh, Hawks basketball. Oh, right. Uh, I also enjoy. This is something not a lot of people know about me. Uh, I I really enjoy collecting comic books. Actually, oh, you do. Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, and so, it's something that. Yeah, it's something that I've been not only dabbling in, but uh-huh. it's actually something that helped me survive when we were back in Boston. Not spiritually survive or anything like that. Uh-huh. I, I used to uh, buy, sell, and trade. And because uh, when Esther and I we were living in Boston. Oh man, times are rough. Mm. And you know, the uh just to give you some numbers. Mm-hmm. Um so while I was working uh at a church in Boston, mm. uh Esther and I were getting paid I believe around 1200 a month. Mm. Uh and in Boston, that that doesn't stretch far right. at all, you know, and I think our rent was something around 750 without wow. utilities. Wow. And we were attending school. Um and so yeah, I, I just had to grind and find a way to help us to like survive, mm-hmm. you know. And and one of those avenues was, uh, yeah, buying low and selling high. Wow. With comic books, um, I used to actually also be really into trading, um, day trading, crypto, oh, and things like that. Wow. Um, not anymore. Yeah. You know. Um, but yeah, I don't know something about grinding and and trying to make. A dollar, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, just yeah. to help our family survive. Yeah. That's that's always been, for some reason, something a part of my DNA uh-huh. that I, I haven't been able to escape since I was, since I was even in like elementary school. Wow, were you, know? you were you still in crypto in what was it like three years back when it like? Oh yeah, that was the oh. height. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so actually, um, through day trading, I had man, I think I had like point one Bitcoin, mm-hmm. and I was able to turn it into over nine. Wow. Um, over that time period. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's really stressful. Oh, yeah. Because um, it would like stocks and, you know, index funds, ETFs and options and all of that. You know, the market, it closes. Yeah. Uh, and it opens mm. at a certain time. But crypto is 24-7. Right. And uh, having to go. I had no idea I was going to share all this. <laughs> but, but like having to go, you know, 24-7 and also... Um, the wild swings, yeah. you know, the stress. I mean, the most I've made in one trade was maybe uh, 46K. Wow. Um, but the most I've lost huh. is actually around 90. Wow. Yeah. So wow. just these so much stress, <laughs> so yeah. much like cortisol, you yeah. know, the stress chemical, yeah. like pumping through my body. And it got to a point where I was just getting really sick. Mm. And, uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I pulled out of that uh, simply because health reasons. Yeah. But also, I think deep down inside my own heart, I had so many uh, idolatry issues, mm. you know, and mm. I, I just really struggled to trust the Lord in many areas to right. provide. And I think that my my desire to grind and provide, although it's coming from a really good place, yeah. you know, as a father, uh, I'm not a father, what the, <laughs> as a husband yeah. and as the head of the house. A spiritual father to yeah. your church. <laughs> thank, thank you. You're very kind. And uh, especially with uh, my mother now living with us, mm. nearing retirement. You know, I, I want to I want to provide. Mm. And I want to provide well. Yeah. Um, but sometimes in that desire to do something good, I would lose sight of, um, you know, my heavenly father. Right. Who always does provide. Mm. And yeah. Man, I'm just answering your first question. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but all that to say, um, you know, those are some of the things that I've I've done. Uh-huh. You know, I was in the military yeah. for a little bit, straight out of high school, uh, right around the 9/11 era. Oh wow! Yeah, and so I signed up as soon as I saw the uh, the planes hit the towers. Wow! Wait, so was that like your motivating factor, just because of that, or were you kind of already thinking about it? Hmm. Well, I had a lot of motives uh, going into it. Mm. Uh, I think the core motivation, if I could cut through to the center of it, it mm. was, uh, it actually was more about myself. Mm. You know, I I had grown up uh, in the traditional church. My mm. family went to church every Sunday. 
and uh it also ties into my birth story mm. um in that uh my mother had a really hard time conceiving oh. you know and and she had multiple um what's it called miscarriages mm. and she even had a stillbirth which is like i can't imagine oh, yeah. you know the kind of pain yeah and uh heartache and of course the doctors were kind of telling her because my bo- my mom's body had always been kind of weak mm. um and so they they were asking her recommending to her uh, to perhaps stop trying to have children mm. you know maybe it's uh, too taxing on her body on the finances all of that and my mom did not want to listen mm. you know and uh, she gathered for the first time she gathered all the people at church mm. salt and light like this is how home church oh, what wow. church is yeah oh. so she gathered all them together and they all prayed and uh, my mom made kind of like this promise to the lord mm. and she said if you give me uh this child mm. i'll give him back to you wow kind of like hannah and samuel mm. kind of thing yeah and and i was born yeah you know no complications and uh my mm. mom and dad would always joke that i kind of paved the way for my sister to be born because she was born wow like, yeah no issues and so the amount of pressure that i felt growing up mm. You're going to be a pastor. Mm. You need to honor our promise to God. Wow. You, know, you were made for ministry and you were given to us through prayer. And, uh, you know, growing up, I, I really went with it mm. for a long time. Like I still have jer- like little pictures of when I was a kid. I would draw uh, myself preaching and stuff like that. Wow. You know? <laughs> uh, it's kind of cheesy, but. Mm. But I, I've discovered some of these like pictures and yeah. small journal entries and things like that. And I think right around high school, I started having a serious, like very deep identity crisis. Mm-hmm. Uh, who am I really? You know, every every week I go to church and I'm the youth group president. Mm-hmm. I'm helping out with Bible studies. Uh, I'm on the praise team. I'm leading. Uh, but deep down inside my heart, I actually didn't know if God was my God or if God was my parents' God. Have I been mm. grown up in the church and I'm just a product of my upbringing? Yeah. Or is God really my God? Right. I couldn't make the distinction. I couldn't tell. And the reason why this identity crisis started coming to a boiling point was because I would try new things mm. and I would try to you know, figure out who I was, you know, but so many people knew me. Mm. I couldn't go or do things that I really wanted to do without other people kind of putting me back into a box. You know, how sometimes people think they know you. Yeah. And if you try to do something different, all the, all you get is judgment. You know, and and it's hard for people to view you as someone who can change, mm-hmm. as someone who uh, can be multidimensional, especially when you're young. That's right. just something that. It's tough, and and I can't blame everyone around me. I think deep down inside my own heart, I was also wearing a mask, and I didn't feel safe to show or share who I was. And and that's the thing, I didn't know who I was. Mm. And so I joined the military as a way to to test that. I see. Like whoever I am when I come out, that must be who I really am. Because mm. uh, when I go there, no one knows me. I can reinvent myself. Um. You know, I could do whatever I wanted. Sin would be encouraged. Mm. You know, going to church was something that would not be encouraged. Right. And in a sense, I really believed I had to put it to the test. Who am I really? And mm. is God really my God? And so that was the primary reason why I joined the military. Uh-huh. Uh, surface level, other reasons. You know, I didn't want to do SATs. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't want to. You know, I saw everyone around me doing their college essays, right, college right. apps, struggling and straining so much. And. And I was never really, I don't say never, but I just didn't, I didn't appreciate systematic schooling, mm, you know, public I schooling. See, and, and even though I retained all the information, it was something that I was always wondering, is there a better way? Mm. And Can I ask which uh, branch of the military that you signed for? Of course. I, I was in the, in the army. I see. Okay. Uh, okay. Active duty army. Mm. I was a, uh, I was a patriot missile station operator and maintainer huh what is what is a patriot mis- missile uh so it stands for it's an acronym okay and it stands for phased array tracking radar intercept on target missile 
what that is is it's it's air defense artillery. So it's kind of like when you play StarCraft in the uh-huh. old days. You know those revolving missile turrets. Uh-huh. It, it looks similar to that, uh-huh. right? But instead wow. of, uh, it, it's actually just like that, if you think about it. But essentially, yeah, we would reload hmm. uh, missiles, and we would have to daisy chain all these things together because the way that the missile launchers communicated with each other, uh, you had to run fiber optic cable mm-hmm. and connect them all, and then you had to connect them to the main kind of like launch pad station. Okay, and uh, we had other guys who would look at the radar, interpret the data, and push the button. Hmm. But we were the ones who would go out, set up, maintain, and do missile reload and things like that. With, wow! Like, so forklifts you, and stuff. You're like you're like physically reloading the missiles back into the turrets. Yeah. Wow. Like we had to climb onto the <laughs> missile turrets and uh-huh. with like all these tools and like crank things in and. Um, yeah, it was. It sounds cooler than it was. <laughs> uh, I'll say that. Was this? Were you deployed overseas, or was this on like, U.S. soil? So, I joined the military right after nine eleven, mm-hmm. and air defense artillery. Our units are the ones who deploy first, okay. because uh, you don't want to just send ground troops without having. A defensive scheme set up for the right, sky right you know and so it's kind of like chess you don't want to move out the attacking pieces until you have like a, a safety net and a defense right, right right and so we're usually the ones who are sent out first when i signed up they'd already sent you know all the uh the units uh-huh. overseas and iraq is iraq was a very poor nation mm. and so they didn't have fighter jets they didn't have anything they just had what was called scud missiles mm. which is a very rudimentary uh, it was just fill up uh, a barrel with gasoline mm. and launch it at a certain angle. Mm. You know, they would change the azimuth or whatever, and mm. then they would light it on fire, and they would see it land, and then they would just crank and adjust the uh, oh, the pitch, wow. you know, or the uh, the way that they would. So it was very rudimentary. Mm. It was almost like, it, it, I don't want to say cavemanish, but right. it, it was very uh, simple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they didn't need uh, something as technologically advanced as uh patriot missile mm. launchers mm. and so uh to answer your question man i feel like i'm answering your question <laughs> no in this such is a roundabout ways this is all amazing uh, but the yeah and so i was not deployed to iraq mm-hmm. uh, i was not deployed to any of those other places uh what air defense artillery did most of the time during the war on terror mm-hmm. uh what we did was we covered down on everyone else's jobs because they were over there. I see. And so, I mean, we did random details. One of them, one of the coolest ones, I think, was uh, we got deployed to Egypt. My unit got deployed. Oh, wow. And our job was to defend and protect the uh, Egyptian prime minister oh, okay. um, during this one season and time. Uh, another cool mission was that we went to the border of like Canada and using our radar mm-hmm. systems, we were we were doing a lot of drug busts. Wow! Yeah, like drug dealers who were going from America to the U.S. Uh-huh. and the Canada uh, to the U.S. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Huh. And uh, so we spent a lot of time at the border wow. doing things like that. Um, but yeah, it sounds a lot cooler, <laughs> and it sounds a lot more fun than it than than true than real to life. Uh. You know, and so. Uh, so how how long were you in the military? I was in for about three years. Okay. Yeah. You know, I, I actually have one question. That sure. I always wanted kind of verification on. Mm-hmm. Is there a like service term requirement to be called a veteran? Mm-hmm. You know, that's a really good question. So this is just my understanding. Mm-hmm. You can fact check this okay. on like any veteran <laughs> website. Okay. What I know is that, um, so there are military contracts okay. that you sign. And those contracts range anywhere from three years. Mm-hmm. Usually, I, they might have a two-year program now. I'm not sure. But they range anywhere from three to eight years. Mm-hmm. And you can just re-enlist afterward if you mm-hmm. want to do that. And the military is usually very open with you re-enlisting mm-hmm. if you want to do that. Uh, a lot of people, and this is for you people who are considering the military. Uh, I'm not sure 
if your recruiter will tell you this. So I'm going to tell you this now. Yeah. Regardless of what year of commitment that you choose to do, mm-hmm. whether it's three or four or six, everyone who signs up is actually serving eight years. Um, and so there's something called inactive reserve. Uh. And so if if you sign up for three years, that means that after you come out, you uh. have five years remaining where they can call you up for any reason, uh, anything wow. at all. And generally, it's it's for deployment. Uh. And so I have a friend who was in for four years, mm. got out, and then they recalled him back to go to Iraq, actually. Wow. And when you get sent back, you're just attached to a unit that needs you. Mm. So it's not always your own mm. Uh, job that you trained for so mm. he didn't go back in as a air defense artillery guy and but the military trains you wow. and, and they'll they'll definitely support you if they call you back but having said that he, uh, you always serve eight years uh, minimum time i'm not sure i think you have to at least finish basic training mm. and finish ait which is called advanced individual training that's okay. where you learn your job so basic training is where Every soldier goes and they learn the basics of being a soldier, like Mm. the baseline foundation Mm. of being a soldier. And then AIT is where you graduate basic training and they send you to where you need to learn your specified field Mm. of like work. And so my AIT uh, was extremely long. It was a year and a half Mm. because we were working with missiles. We were working with surface to air, um, specialized radar Mm. and things like that. And, uh, yeah, and so to my understanding, <laughs> the minimum length would be at least finishing basic mm. AIT, and it really depends how you're discharged. I see. And so if you're, if you are honorably discharged, then you are a veteran. Mm. Uh, if you're, if you're negative, like dishonorably discharged, that's uh-huh. like the worst thing that can happen. I mean, I know a guy I know a guy who had like three DUIs and he spent some time for drug charges and he still got out with a less than honorable, which is the middle one. Oh, wow. And so if you come out with a dishonorable, (laughs) what did you do? Right. (laughs) And so, yeah. So when you just finish your, so you signed up for three years, Mm -hmm. when you finish that and you leave the army, Mm -hmm. is that considered honorable discharge or is it just your, your contract is over? So if you fulfill the terms and uh-huh. the length of your contract, uh-huh. it is going to be honorably discharged. I, I see, I see, I see. Because you have served your country honorably, mm-hmm. faithfully, mm-hmm. and you didn't do anything wrong. Right. You know, if you if you do some heinous crime <laughs> yeah. that's worthy of other than honorable uh-huh. or dishonorable, um, they'll, they'll give it to you. But... I mean, these people know. Mm. They know that when you come out of the military, you're going to have to go back into civilian life. Mm. And to be marked with dishonorable discharge, that's something that follows you. That's huge. Huh? Yeah, it really follows you. Yeah. And uh, and so, yeah, anyone who fulfills honorably will receive the honorable discharge. So when you signed up, did your recruiter tell you that even though you're only signing up for three years, you're going to be inactive for five additional years? Or is that something you found out when you got there? I found out after. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but but I have to say, my recruiter was one of the best. Okay. And he really looked after me. Mm. He actually, he proactively got me promoted. Wow. Uh, to, to E3, which is private first class. Mm. Normally, when you go in, you're just a private, you're E1. Mm. And so I went in. Two steps. Yeah, two steps mm. way ahead. Mm. And that's. That's more pay. That's mm. more respect, honor. That's, but it's also more responsibility. Right. 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 But, but I, uh, I really thank my recruiter because mm. he was really on my side. And and for those of you who are looking into going into the military, your recruiter is like everything. Mm. Your recruiter, who you get. There are some people, and this is true of every job out there. Mm. There are some people who are only doing the job. Because it's a job. Right. And you can tell. Right. You can tell when someone doesn't have a sense of pride or honor in their work. Mm. And I had someone who I really believe, really believed in what he did. Yeah. And if there's anyone out there who's looking for a recruiter that has that kind of heart, just contact me. I, mm. I still have contacts in the military. 
who can connect you to the resources that you you might need. Awesome. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That that kind of blew my mind. Uh, <laughs> so your your eight years is over now, right? Or is it yes. still? Yes. Okay. No, no, no. So I'm 35, mm-hmm. and so I joined when I was 18, uh-huh. mm-hmm. and so yeah, I'm way <laughs> over that mark. So if let's say I don't, I don't under it's because of my lack of knowledge with how the mm-hmm. military works. Yeah. Let's say there was, you know, with like Iran right now. Sure. There's all this talk of World War Three or like whatever. The draft and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. If what are the so I've heard that the mm-hmm. chances of there being a draft is next to nothing. Yes, that is true. Is that true? But I would agree with that. What are the chances of veterans such as yourself being brought back in? Hmm. So for me, mm-hmm. uh, a little lesser known fact, I actually got boarded out of the military early. So okay. I was supposed to serve four years, uh-huh. but I incurred some pretty significant injuries uh, oh. to my <laughs> my spine. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, yeah, it, it's 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 conditions that are common in mm-hmm. the fifth or sixth decade of life. Mm. And so it's not it's not that bad. Mm. But I did receive it when I was in my teens. Yeah. You know, um, but so having said that, the military is taking care of me. I get free health care. Oh, wow. Uh, completely free. And uh, and because of the status and because of what had happened, mm. um, I am on the same level as like, I don't think this should be, mm. but I'm thankful to the Lord that this is. Mm. But my... Uh, medical status is similar to purple heart award winners and vietnam war vets wow uh yeah just thank you jesus for that (laughs) um but but having said that uh so draft for my specific uh, situation Uh uh, in order for someone who got medically boarded out to go back in Uh what you need to do is you need a you need approval and you need a um kind of like a note mm. um, or an override from a United States senator wow. uh, in order to go back in. Wow. And of course, I would forfeit all benefits mm. that I had. And there would be extensive testing as to whether or not I can actually perform mm. the duties that are uh, expected and required mm. of me. Um, but what a lot of people don't know is that if the draft were to be reinstated, mm. first of all, America would go into chaos. Like just everyone no one wants that right you know and for that to happen uh, today i mean even back then when they did it in vietnam yeah. people were rallying people were rioting they were protesting yeah i believe even more so mm. now right but having said that uh the way that they normally do it so congress puts out it's an interesting process they put out a certain number that mm. needs to be filled mm. in order to go to war and let's say it's like 500,000. Hmm. They need 500,000 troops. And so what they do is they have like computers that generate um, every, because at 18, you're supposed to sign up for the selective reserve. Right. Um, it's illegal for you not to. Hmm. It's it's for the sake of the nation. You know, if, if we're called to battle, then we have to do that. Yeah. And what Congress does is it gets fed into this like algorithm, you hmm. know, and then things get printed out and they go into this, big machine that looks like a lottery ball kind of thing where mm. you know they're they're spinning all these like balls yeah. right and one ball comes out and they select it and the way that they choose who needs to you know show up mm. to be in processed is they read out the birthday and so they'll say November 1st which mm. is my birthday uh-huh. then every single person who's born on November 1st across the United States would have to I think they get like a week or two. Um, wow. Yeah, to like close their affairs yeah. and to let everyone know that they've been drafted uh-huh. and then they got to show up at in-processing on that day. And anyone who's born on that day that doesn't show up, mm. um, it, it's not good. Mm. Uh, there's warrants out for arrest. Wow. And if you resist uh, joining your, your AWOL you know, during a time of war, mm. which is not good, yeah. you know, Um but is that how they did it for Vietnam? That is. It is. Wow. And so everyone's watching the TV, mm. hoping that their birthday doesn't get called. Mm. Um, and so let's say they call out the birthday. Mm. And uh, the way that it works is 
you can only be drafted if you're 18 to 26. A lot of people uh, don't know that. I see. Okay, and so, so what they do is they they skip the year of 18. Okay. Okay. And they go from 19 all the way to 26. Mm. And if the numbers have not yet been fulfilled that mm. Congress needs mm. or prescribes then they go to the 18 year olds so they give oh. 18 year olds the last kind of thing because right. they're so young yeah yeah and and so yeah that's that's the that's the structure that's mm. the format that's interesting so when you go and you're drafted when you're mm. in you know basic training mm-hmm. you're pretty much with everyone with the same birthday as you yes <laughs> that's, that's, oh <laughs> yeah. i did not know that wow well, at least for in processing uh-huh. i don't know what happens after that uh-huh. because uh, they, I mean, if they want to make it all cut and neat because you're there with everyone, then okay, it would be like that. Yeah. Excuse me, but I don't know if uh, if they'll ship you somewhere else. Right. right. With other people, I, I, don't, I don't know how that works. I just know that for the in processing day, mm. when people show up, everyone has the same birthday as you. Mm, mm. Uh, I see. Wait, so can I ask how your spine injury happened? Yeah. Uh, with this again, if it's like personal, you don't want to talk about mm-hmm. it. Totally fine not talking about it, but uh, it's I'd... it's fine. Okay. So, to make a very long story short, mm-hmm. what it was was uh, we would do these very grueling, enduring ruck marches, and a ruck march is is essentially where you put on all your gear mm-hmm. and all the armor, and you have your weapon and all the ammunition, and all you do is you just it's like a long hike. You oh. just go hiking. Yeah. And for some reason my unit thought mm. it would be hilarious if the smallest guy so i'm five six uh-huh. and i'm not the tallest dude uh-huh. i don't think i'm the shortest either but uh-huh. but in the military i'm telling you everyone was huge uh-huh. they were like six three six 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 yeah. seven uh, my roommate he was a russian guy mm. and he I'm telling you, man, he was like six five. <laughs> he was ripped. Wow. He uh. was huge. He used to be a Coke model before he joined the military. Oh wow. Yeah, so he was just gigantic, uh. you know, amazing guy. Uh my one of my drill sergeants, he was like six eight, you know. Uh, and I remember one of the first days we were there, he was yelling at us and telling us according to the military standards, mm. he's like fifty pounds overweight. Mm. And then he like lifted up his shirt. There was a ripping like six pack, right? Uh, uh, I mean, it was insane yeah. how big this guy was. And he's like, "Do I look fat to y'all?" <laughs> and of course, we're like, "No, no. Joe Sergeant, <laughs> we're so sorry. Why are you yelling at us? Why are you showing us your ripping abs?" You know. And uh, and he, uh, his name was Drill Sergeant Knight, mm. like dark as night. Uh-huh. And he was. Uh. He was yeah that guy and he walked around everywhere and he carried a huge bamboo stick for some reason it was super intimidating yeah but yeah i don't know how we got here but <laughs> all that to say everyone oh. was huge yeah oh, oh the injury right yeah yeah and so they thought it was they thought it would be really hilarious to give the smallest guy like the biggest weapon uh. and so i carried what's called the m249 okay uh and it's they call it the saw saw and it stands for squad automatic weapon mm. And it's one of those weapons that's so heavy that it comes with its own bipod that's oh. tucked in. And when you carry it and you get to the ground, you extend the bipod, uh-huh. put on the ground so that it balances, and you put the you put the uh, the hilt mm. of the weapon on your shoulder, and you do this. Wow! While the bipod is like supporting the front, and it's a weapon that you need like a someone gun. next to you. Yeah. Mm. Uh, you need someone next to you who's holding the ammo so that it goes like you know yeah so it's actually like a two-person you know so, like a support weapon yeah yeah I, I had a huge machine gun everywhere i went <laughs> right and uh over time i think it just started wearing away at like the cartilage oh, and at wow. my discs and stuff mm. and you see when i first got the injury um you know i, I complained about it mm. i told them hey something's not right you know, my back's locking up and I'm unable to move. Mm. And they thought that I was just trying to get out of work. Mm. And that's, they thought that I was lying. Yeah. And so over time, it got to the point where I actually wasn't able to walk. And I mean, it was really bad. I was taking showers on all fours. And that's something that's, you know, as a, as a human being, yeah. that, that's something that, 
it's just very undignified. Yeah. And, and I remember uh, being in the midst of that kind of environment, being required to do so much physically strenuous things, yeah. but also my leaders don't believe me. And it wasn't until I met the right doctor mm. who gave me the diagnosis. I mean, my medical file is so thick. Wow. And I went to the hospital many times trying to get something. Uh, the providers would change and I would still have to start over you know, with the different doctors that would come in, things like that. Mm. And I, I finally met with a doctor uh, who was a Christian. Mm. And he, uh, yeah, he, he checked all these things out and he, he saw that I was not lying. Yeah, yeah. And he got the right paperwork filed. And, and then my unit was like, oh, I guess you were lying. Oh my gosh. I, no, I wasn't. <laughs> yeah. And so... That, that's kind of the, the story of how, how that happened. Wow. So after that injury, mm-hmm. so that was that, I'm assuming, at like the three-year mark? Yes. And so you, Around the said, two and a half mark. I see. I see. And so they said, wow, you're, you're too injured. You, you go home pretty much? It was, uh, yeah. It uh, was, you know, thank you for your service. Um, sorry. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then, yeah, it's transitioning out to I go see. back into civilian life. Wow. And so... Right after that, I got on a plane, mm. came back home, and and when I came home, I'm t- I kid you not, I slept for like three months. I don't think I was awake the entire. I just got <laughs> up to eat, uh-huh. and then I went to bed, uh-huh. and it, it kind of it frustrated my girlfriend at the time. Mm, you know? Yeah, and uh, you're finally back, but you're not even. Yeah yeah, 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 and I was just sleeping all the time. Yeah, but I think it was just the sleep debt that mm, had occurred yeah. while I was in the military. It's totally different now, though. Mm. Like, the army has completely changed. Mm. Completely changed. I, I remember getting physically hit. I remember the gas chambers being, you know, hopped up to the point where it was... I mean, I overheard my drill sergeant saying, is this even legal? And they're laughing and stuff. And, I mean, I can tell you all about the gas chamber, too, wait, wait, if wait. you want to hear about that. What is a gas chamber? Uh, so, every single... Uh, military member uh-huh. they say it's so that you can grow to trust your equipment okay that they have you put on your gas mask because uh-huh. it's part of your equipment it's it's a little bag that sits on your right leg uh-huh. and you tie it up on there and wherever whatever situation you're in you need a gas mask because the enemy can throw biochemical right. weapons or grenades or whatever at you and in order to inspire a confidence mm-hmm. that your equipment works and you need to know how to put it on in the midst of a stressful environment, yeah. what they do is they, they pretty much march you into a warehouse mm. uh, where they're cooking uh, a certain kind of like gas. Mm. And uh, they call it CS gas. It, it's, it's designed to be an irritant. Okay. It's crystals that cling to every part of you. And, and it's just designed to it's it's like tear gas on steroids wow in a sense okay and yeah so i've experienced cs gas outside of basically training Mm -hmm. so when i was in my regular unit i would get gassed and you know what it's not that bad Mm. actually when it's by itself it's not bad but Mm. when when i was in basic training they did something to it they poured (laughs) yeah the drill sergeants they all got together and Uh. they thought it would be hilarious if they like made it crazier oh now, my god you gotta understand this was right after 9 11 mm. and my drill sergeants i understand now why they did what they did mm. and and of course there's some there's some level of being a drill sergeant and you hate your job mm. because and this is something that i've going to respect about drill sergeants even though they're yelling at you even yeah. though they're cussing at you even though they're making your life in absolute hell yeah they're always with you. And you kind of notice that. I see. Every morning, they get up first. Mm. Every run, they're running in the front. Everything that they're doing, they're doing with you. They're there. They're not just someone who comes and yells at you and then leaves. Right. And so their life sucks too. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. And and so they, yeah, they essentially pour out. And, and you have this, there's a strange psychology where you go from like really hating this guy yeah. to really respecting him and wanting his like approval kind uh-huh, of thing. Uh-huh. It's it's a crazy Do you think psychology. Any sort of a Stockholm syndrome? Hundred percent, man. Hundred <laughs> percent. They they want that to happen. Oh. <laughs> you know, they they break you down 
um, they break you down so that you are no longer who you used to be. Mm. And then they build you back up yeah. into who they want you to be. I see. And it's just, mm. yeah. But again, I, I don't know how things are now. I see. Uh, because I think now they give you like a card mm. and one side is red, one side is green, mm. kind of like Fogo or something. <laughs> yeah. And when the drill sergeant yells at you, you can put a red card down and yeah. then they have to stop. So Interesting. I, I don't know what's wow. happening. Th- these are things that I've heard. Uh-huh. And I mean, I'm hearing about people going into the military now and telling me it's like going to camp. And huh. I'm like, what? How is that even possible? My experience was so <laughs> terrible. It yeah. was so bad. Yeah. Because, um, you know, as a person who has to go through it, I'm mm-hmm. sure it's helpful that there's a way to stop it from happening, like turning mm-hmm. the red card. But as a citizen... It's like, what kind of soldiers are we producing if, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So, huh, that's, that's interesting. I didn't, I did not know that. Yeah. I mean, and I'm just going off of stories that yeah. I've heard people tell me. Hmm. They're like, oh, the military was nothing like you told me. It's like <laughs> easy now. And I don't know if they're just trying to be tough. I see. Yeah. And they're just kind of, but the existence of a red and green <laughs> card, I don't know. But in today's kind of like politically correct culture. Right. I can I can fathom that this would be a reality. I see. Yeah. But what do I know? I haven't been in the military in forever. Yeah. You know. And, uh, and who knows? Maybe I don't know. Maybe coddling mm-hmm. people a little bit. I don't know. Maybe there's a positive effect of it. Who knows? Maybe. Yeah. And, I don't know. And maybe some sites, some basic training uh, sites, mm-hmm. they're a lot harsher than others. Mm. I know for me, I trained in Fort Sill, Oklahoma. And when I was there, it was before the Oklahoma Thunder mm. were there. Mm-hmm. And what people don't know about the Marine Corps is that, so Navy, they handle sea stuff, right? yeah. the ocean yeah. and waters. Of course, they have like fighter jets and they have all these other things too, but, but that's what they're known for. Right. And Air Force is known for covering the skies. Mm-hmm. Uh, Army is usually with the ground, Yeah, you know, we have border patrol. We have National Guard who protect our, our nation. Yeah. And the reserves are, are ones who are reserves. Yeah. What do the Marine Corps do? And so Marine Corps, they actually fill in the gaps between all of the all of the branches. Oh. And that means that they actually don't have their own bases. And mm. so they're attached usually to an army base or they're attached and they do their training at a Navy base. Uh, they don't have their own like Marine Corps base for training. So they're attached oh, to other places. And in a way, you kind of like train together. Yeah. And so, you know, in Fort Sill, Oklahoma, where I was at, I remember there being, as we were on our morning run, mm. you know, there's A group, B group, C group. And uh, as we we're running, mm. I remember A group being the fastest. I was not A group, like ever. <laughs> I don't know how they do it, like five minute miles. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And I was in B group. And I remember just running uh-huh. with our group and there's like 30, 40 of us running together in unison in formation. And I remember this <sighs> happened so much. I would look over and I'm like, no, because there's a Marine Corps group uh-huh. running. Uh-huh. And then the person in front of us leading our group would say, we're going to let Marines beat us. Uh-huh. And then we go faster. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then the Marine Corps guys would be like, oh, we're going to let Army beat us. And they would go faster. <laughs> and yeah, then yeah. we're like, we can't let the Marines win. <laughs> yeah. and so we'd go faster. And it gets to the point where we're just formation is breaking apart. Uh-huh. Everyone's just doing <laughs> sprints. Yeah. And in my heart, I'm wondering, why are we doing this? <laughs> like, why are we allowing our pride to, to do this? Yeah. And that's that's just a picture of some of the stuff that we we had to go through. I mean, wow. Yeah, I, I'm not even touching some of the uh, the more traumatic uh-huh. experiences uh-huh. that have occurred. Um, may, maybe I can go a little bit into yeah, the yeah. nature of of uh, what's it called? What's uh, PTSD? Okay, post traumatic stress mm-hmm. disorder, mm-hmm. and so. I believe that the way that we're created, we're created with our mind, with our body, and with our heart, like our emotions. Yeah. Okay. And in the military, what begins to happen is, is they have to find a way to separate your mind from your body and your emotions. Hmm. Okay. So 
actually your mind let me start over they separate your body and your mind uh, and your emotions from your mind no no no, no. you're, you're gonna have to edit this <laughs> they, they separate your body uh-huh. from your mind and your emotions i see okay, okay. Uh-huh. so what does that mean uh normally when you go through any kind of experience your body and your emotions and your mind goes through it together right like that's normal something bad happens you experience it you know physically you'll, you'll start shaking you might cry yeah. uh, your heart is overflowing with that emotion and your mind is processing logically what's going on mm. and of course some things are being expressed stronger than others you know it's never a perfect anyway in the military they have to make it so that when they give you an order mm-hmm. such as hey go into that room full of full of the enemy mm-hmm. and kill them right you cannot have your own response in that moment. Mm-hmm. You cannot say why or no, I'm mm-hmm. not doing that. Mm-hmm. You you can't do that because you have to get to a point where you do everything that you're told to do, you're ordered to do mm-hmm. with no hesitation mm-hmm. or else many other lives could be killed. Uh, bad things can happen. Yeah. And you don't want a bunch of people who think for themselves. Right. Especially in moments where we need to be perfectly united as one. We need to follow the orders that were given like that. Yeah. And so what the military does is they they do this trauma based kind of uh I don't want to call it mind control, but they, <laughs> they do this thing where they they dis they get you to disassociate your body from your mind and your emotions. In a sense, your body begins to do things. Uh, and it starts to react uh, without your feelings or your thoughts. Huh. And so post-traumatic stress disorder is when a soldier is ordered to or does something that's very traumatic mm. that is not normal to human life. Yeah. Um, like killing people. Right. That's not something that is natural right. to anyone. Uh, and in the military... This is why you have these like veterans who in the moment their body is is reacting, they're responding, they're they're killing people, yeah, doing things that they would never normally do as a civilian, but their mind and their heart is not experiencing it. Just their body is. I see. And that's why way later on, when a soldier's body is at rest, the mind and the emotions will come smacking back and they think they're in battle. Yeah. They think they're in war. It's because because the experience of battle has been delayed for them. Wow. And when their body's at rest, you know, it, it, it comes back. Mm. And, and so they're stuck in that kind of like cycle because that's not the way we're supposed to experience right. things. Right. You know, and yet war, these things are very common. Wow. Um, and so every single person, every single soldier who goes into the military, um, if the military is successful, mm-hmm. In, in creating the soldiers and the types that they want, uh, they will do whatever is ordered of them. Yeah. Like, David, I would have killed and ate my family if they asked me to. Wow. Um, without any hesitation. Because mm. um, that's, that's just the, to the extent that I allowed the training to, that I embraced it. I allowed mm. it to shape me right. and change me at the core of who I was. And it wasn't, uh, it wasn't until really the Lord mm. came and, and broke through all of that. It was that basic training, actually. Crazy. But it, it wasn't until that moment that I began to kind of see and, and understand. And, and I'm really grateful to God for that. Mm. But yeah, man. Wow. Wow. Crazy times. So I mean, do you feel like you're going, do you have like lingering PTSD at all from your time there? Hmm. I don't know. I, I don't think I do. Mm. I don't ever. Uh, I don't ever sense or feel as though I'm in battle when I'm not. I see. And I don't get uh, those kinds of things. I don't think I have a obvious thing mm. at all. So I would say no. Mm. Although Esther might be like, mm, I don't know, but yeah. but because. Uh, PTSD, although mm-hmm. mainly it is combat related, sure, it's not always combat related. It's right? true, yeah, because there are people who experience PTSD even when they're not in the army. Yeah, yeah, the, any sort of traumatic experience. It's can. true. So, it's very oh, true. Yeah. Yeah. 
yeah, like, you know, car accidents yeah. um, trigger PTSD in some people. And, you know, I think, I think that it's impossible to avoid some kind of trauma in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, but do I believe that I have a categorical PTSD mm. as these soldiers who are returning and, and as someone who went through a car accident? I would say no. I see. Uh, I, I, yeah, I, I don't want to claim that. Uh-huh. Um, but I, you know, just like everyone, I do have baggage yeah, and things yeah. that are in my heart that I've had to really wrestle with and surrender to the Lord. Mm. And so, so I, I want to ask you a question. I'm going to be very careful how I word it sure. because I'm not asking if you yourself would mm-hmm. go back yeah. to the army, but if there was, let's say, your youth group student, mm-hmm. if there was a youth group student who said. Pastor Dan, I'm thinking about enlisting. Mm. What do you think? Mm. Would you? What would your recommendation be? Mm. And I'm, I understand that it would, it would be different for you know, people, specifically sure. for who the person is. Mm-hmm. But is there kind of like a what you would say more versus the other? Yeah. So, great question, mm. by the way. And a lot of people have come and asked me about the military, mm. specifically army, and. I've given a lot of advice mm. to people over the years. Uh, it really depends on the person. Mm. It really depends on the person. There's no one size fits all. Yeah. Um, there are some people who I believe want to join the military because they want to run away, mm. um, which is actually the reason why I did it. Um, but sometimes I see people who going into the military would utterly destroy them. Uh. It would be something that uh, it would not be something that would that would be good for their overall, I think, uh, mm-hmm. mental status yeah. and, and yeah. spirituality. I think some people, some people, for example, I don't think everyone should be wealthy, mm. and it's because you know wealth, it's an amplifier. Right. It's something that amplifies what's already in your heart. Mm. And if you're not, if you're not thankful, if you're not surrendered, if you're not happy before wealth gets added to you, yeah, um, you're you're gonna destroy yourself. Mm. And of course, that's not true of everyone. Yeah, and I wanna, I fully acknowledge that. But if you're asking me about a youth group member who asks me, you know, what do you recommend? Uh, assuming that I know them mm. and that I've pastored them, or if I don't know them and they just come up and ask me, maybe after a retreat or something, yeah then I'll make the time to understand and I'll ask them questions. You know, who are you and why would you, like, what are your motivations? What's your heart? And what is it that you're you're seeking? Mm-hmm. You know, and so after all these things, there are some people who I would strongly recommend mm. uh, for the military. Mm. There are some people who, for example, maybe they have a lot of debt. Yeah. And they're not making any headway in school. Uh, they, they've got a good base, like a good foundation, mm-hmm. excuse me, and spiritually uh, and mentally, mm. I sense that this experience would be something that would add to their lives. Yeah. It would be something that enriches them rather than breaks them. Yeah. And, and it's something that I would recommend for some, for example, uh, one of, one of my former students. Um, his name's Jeffrey mm-hmm. and he's in the military now. A lot of people listening to this podcast probably know him. Mm. Uh, he's someone I really love. Mm. So Jeffrey, if you ever hear this, I love you, man. Um, but he's someone who asked me, you know, what should I do? Mm. And of course at first I was like, Ooh, I don't know because I just generally love having him around. Mm. He's one of the people who, uh, was one of my first students. Yeah. And, but even beyond uh, student level, he's someone who like, really makes me laugh yeah and we kind of have this connection and uh when i first heard that he was considering going in i um i hesitated because i didn't want him to leave uh, but over time i i did prayer and i rem- and i kind of thought you know what it might be good for him yeah to go and experience the world experience life um go out and 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 at some point i believe every every namja has to kind of right. go out and do their own thing right. at one point right. and and so i i kind of counseled him um, i think at the time he wanted to go in i forget what job he wanted to do 
but I was like, Jeffrey, Jeffrey, Jeffrey. No, 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 no. <laughs> okay. If you're going to go in, uh-huh. get a job that's easily transferable into the public sector actually, uh, after you're done. Yeah. You know, don't pigeonhole yourself. Don't do infantry. Because mm. what are you going to do when you get out? Be a contract killer or something right, like mercenary, right. defensive specialist. You know, yeah. don't do that. Because um, everyone gets basic training. Yeah. Everyone gets the baseline. Um, what is it that you want to do when you get out? Mm. And he was like, I don't know. Mm. I'm like, okay, well, consider this. And I told him, consider being a sonogram, a sonogram uh, technician, mm. because women, they do not ever get deployed. Um, uh, and if, if they have a child, you know, and you, you need to like, it's called sonogram, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. And so you're able to scan and, and not only are you helping people, uh. not only are you with them on really happy days, uh. um, but also you're acquiring a medical skill yeah. that transfers very easily uh, over into the civilian sector. And when right. you come out, you, you know, having a United States Army training, yeah. especially in the medical field, it's something that speaks very highly for you and speaks mm. of you. And so when you get out, you can be an x-ray tech, yeah. you can be a sonogram technician, and it's something that can set you up for success when you get out. Right. And I was telling them, you know, you can just do your four years, come out, uh, and your the range of options are limitless now. You right. can go to any hospital, and you're set. Yeah. And he took my advice. He he reclassed from what he was originally going into. I forgot what it was. Hmm. Um, but he he's now an X-ray tech. Oh wow! And so he's working medical. Awesome. And it's something that. Wait, so in the army, when you're working mm-hmm. with sonogram, because when you first talked said sonogram, mm-hmm. I said, "Oh, cool, he's." doing something with trying to figure out where like landmines are using <laughs> sonar or something but is it <laughs> was i wrong uh so i was recommending that he work in in the hospital sector i see yeah I see, not I, see. Some, I mean you know <laughs> okay. if i really cared about this guy <laughs> yeah. i could be like yeah you should uh pick up some you know minesweeper <laughs> skills in real life you know that's <laughs> that's something that you know i wouldn't wish on my worst enemy okay. you know? right, i mean right, right. i i actually yeah. know a guy uh, at Emory University, I was working out and mm-hmm. I saw him and he saw that I had an army shirt on and uh-huh. he came over and that's what he did. He he defused bombs, wow. you know, for a living. Yeah. And uh, he was on a break before he went back out. Mm-hmm. He's living the life of uh, of Hurt Locker. Right, 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 you know, right, right. He's, he doesn't like being here. Wow. Uh-huh. He wants to be out there defusing bombs. Uh-huh. And you got you got to be a, a little type of, you know, unstable a little <laughs> bit you know to do that kind of work right yeah but i mean praise the lord that he he has a passion mm. and that he wants to do it yeah because i ain't doing it <laughs> you know i'm not recommending my youth kids to do <laughs> right. it you know right, right. yeah it's, yeah so do you feel like uh being in the army was a oh it's, it's gonna be a weird question because of oh, your injury yeah. but w- would you say it was like a positive experience for you yeah, so the way that I would describe it is it was like a million dollar experience. Wow. But I would not do it again for a million dollars. Oh, okay, gotcha. You know? Uh, and it's something that I'm so grateful for. Mm. I'm so thankful to the Lord that I got to experience that slice of life. Yeah. But it's it's not something that I would happily do again. Right. right. Now, if, if all, or not all, but if there were people in my life... Mm who were drafted and forced to go in, I would have a sense of duty yeah. uh, in my heart arise to um, to rejoin mm. and to do something. Um, yeah. Mm. Wow. But uh, but I guess I guess we'll see. It's yeah. it's all up to the Lord yeah. at this point. Yeah. And I have my own wishes and my own yearnings and leanings, but it's it's really gonna be Will God make that yeah. call? Yeah. Man, you know, uh, I actually really wanted to get into some other stuff like your mm-hmm. chaplaincy. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> a, a bunch of other stuff. But we are actually, I, I try to keep these to an hour. Okay. I've, I've gotten feedback that. Wow, we go, went an hour already? We're, we're at 59 minutes right now. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I, I've just been getting feedback that uh, when it goes over an hour, yeah. it's, it's just difficult because totally understand yeah, yeah. man but uh-huh. i really i'm hoping to have you on for more of these yeah let's do it these are really great stories but mm. just before we sign off with what little time we have mm-hmm. i've been so 
Um, for those of you who know me, I'm a huge comic book fan. Mm-hmm. I love all the movies and stuff. So okay. I've been showing incredible restraint, not asking you <laughs> about uh-huh. about the because you, you talked about how you were like a comic book trader. Yes. Can you just talk a little bit about how you got into that, what you did with that? Sure. So for me, I lived up in Boston uh-huh. and in Massachusetts, I lived in a place where there were over like 13 comic book stores. Wow. And there was a street where there were like six of them uh-huh. all together. And for me, I think it started with, so I had always been into it when I was younger. Uh-huh. But for me, I I kind of went into a comic book store. And I'm like, oh, cool. And uh-huh. I was looking around. And I remember seeing, uh, in, so a lot of times the way that comic book stores are structured, there's, there's like a front uh-huh. and then there's a wall behind them with like all the high priced books. Uh-huh. And usually the high priced books are like key issues, first appearances. Right. It's, uh, they're, they're, they're the more highly sought out after yeah. things. Yeah. Uh, but this, many stores have a basement hmm. where you go down to the basement and there's boxes filled with books that have not been organized mm. that you know the staff don't want to go through yeah and they allow you to just go in and it's just a dollar a pop uh. right? and so uh people in the comic book community they call it hunting uh. and so i would go down there and i think the first time i was just kind of looking through things and you know in the beginning i just kind of picked out little things that i kind of liked yeah. here and there and and over my time there after i bought a book uh-huh. there was someone uh, in the line who said hey that's actually worth something. You uh, got it for a dollar. Uh, I was like, yeah, I just like the cover and I wanted to read the story. It was, uh, it was X-Men. Right. Wow. And, and he offered, Hey, I'll give you $10 for it. And I was like, I just bought it for a dollar and he wants it for 10. Yeah. Okay. And so we made the exchange. Uh-huh. And at that point I was like, man, uh, is there something to this? And mm. so I started doing a little more deep research and I realized that I had a, I kind of had a skill mm. in determining uh, earlier than most people uh, certain books that were going to get bigger. Wow. And because I had this natural resource, yeah. you know, of, <laughs> of like all these comic book stores around me, yeah. I would go and I would just hunt. Uh-huh. But also, like there's so many people in the U.S. who don't have a comic book store next yeah. to them. Yeah. And, and so they're always going on eBay and they're going on these forums looking for certain issues. Yeah. I'm telling you, David, it was as easy as, so I had a loop, mm. I had a, I had a route, uh-huh. right? And some people in the comic community are hate me for this, but uh, at the time I needed to feed my wife, <laughs> right? And I needed to keep the heat on. Yeah. Uh, and so I would go from store to store and literally each issue around like three ninety nine, dollars uh-huh. um, and I would resell it for over 30 it was literally, it was wow. like, it was like picking fruit <laughs> and then going to eBay and just shipping yeah. it off, you know? Uh-huh. And, and I think in that year, okay, I made over 17 K Wow. Uh, in that year, but it helped, it helped put food on the table. Yeah. It helped keep the lights on. It, it helped me, uh, keep gas in the car, That's you know, awesome. and, and Esther would let me do it because she knew that I just deeply wanted to provide, Yeah. you yeah. know? And, um, for me, but it, it got to be too much of an of an idol. Uh, it got to the point where I'm telling you right now, I don't know if your listeners know of this book. It's a pretty big book. It's a uh, Hulk 181. Okay. It's the first appearance of Wolverine. Oh wow! A very classic cover, uh, beautiful book. Uh-huh. And when I was at my comic book store, I frequented these like stores so much that yeah. I got to know the owners and stuff. Uh-huh. And and he was like, hey. hey look what I got today. And he, he had it in a vault. He like opened it up and he showed it to me. Uh, and, uh, and as I'm sharing this, I'm going to look up the eBay prices yeah. for it. But he, um, long story short, I, I pulled out everything I had, uh-huh. you know, in my car to like somehow trade or sell or like get it, you know? Uh-huh. And, and, uh, I ended uh, up getting it, uh-huh. I ended up getting it. And it became one of the, uh, one of the most expensive <sighs> so hold on let me let me see if i can yeah so i'm I'm on ebay right now i'm trying to pull it up yeah the uh price for the condition that i had it was it was easily a 9.2 um it was raw though it wasn't graded mm. by a comic company or anything like that mm. 
but um i'm trying to find like the cheapest price for a 9.2 but at the time uh, i had got it for around 600 okay and i mean this is easily a three thousand dollar book and this is how bad i the, the idolatry had gotten uh. i didn't want to sell it i wanted to keep it uh. and i wanted to just hold on to it even yeah. though our utilities were close to like getting cut off and i yeah. just wanted to hold on to it and at that point i realized okay you know this is something that i need to it's not something that i'm holding mm. it's something that's holding me yeah and the only person the only one in the world that should have that is is jesus right and over time uh, i sold that mm. book and i sold the uh spider-man 129 first uh, appearance of the punisher i sold the, wow. both of those books together and i sold it for 6500 um, wow. at a mall crazy it was just a cash exchange <laughs> and uh but i'm telling you right now mm. even though it seems like a lot of money like mm. 6500 mm. today uh i would be considered somewhat cheap uh, for what i gave it up for wow um, but but with that money i was able to yeah you know carry on yeah. with our with our family stuff yeah but it was something that really had a grip on me it's not the same anymore i see you know i'm not really into buying a trade i'm just collecting things mm. that i like mm. here and there and uh yeah that's that's it but <laughs> wow. yeah you should come over and then i'll, I'll no, show I, you some of the I, books i would love to know? i would love to yeah. yeah well well thank you so much for coming um you have such amazing and rich deep stories <laughs> so thank you so much for coming and having uh -huh. this conversation with us uh, and you you mentioned how um if there were anyone uh considering joining the army you have a lot of information yeah so um yeah i'll just uh, give out my email it's a uh, ihthtpodcast.gmail.com that's i hope they hear this podcast at gmail.com or you can reach out on instagram at i hope they hear this or on twitter at ihthtpodcast and any uh questions you might have if you forward it to me uh i'll or if you send it to me i will forward it to pastor dan yeah and, and i'm sure he'll be happy to respond and, and chat with you so and also this will be on youtube um so look out for that uh on the wednesday well wednesday or thursday after the release on saturday wow <clears throat> i say that because i i do everything this is a one-man show right now i have to do all the editing and all that and i have a baby as well so mm. <laughs> sometimes it slips into thursday but mm -hmm. um yeah keep an eye out eye out for that and guys um look forward to my i, I know pastor dan is very uh, he's a busy guy so i don't know when i can make it happen but i definitely <laughs> definitely want to have more because more more episodes yeah because yeah even even the little bit that we talked about with like your you being a chaplain and yeah, all yeah. that that's it's all really interesting stuff that mm -hmm. i think uh, people would be super it would, it would be a very compelling story so mm. uh keep an eye out for that guys i'm not sure when it will be but we'll try to make it happen for sure yeah, awesome man, well, thanks for having me on yeah. man and uh thank you to the listeners for listening and uh, we'll talk to you next week bye